And even though the disciples had been with Jesus for over three years, they still did not understand the mission of his first coming. They were looking for a second coming Messiah, just like the church today is waiting for and looking for the second coming Messiah. They did not understand the mission of Christ, needing to come to die for the sins of the world. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. This week we're looking at what I titled Sin, Righteousness, and Judgment from John chapter 16. We're going to see in verses 1 through 4 a coming persecution. In verses 5 through 15, the coming Holy Spirit, verses 16 through 24, a coming joy, and verses 25 through 33, a coming faith. In verses 13 through 15, it says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, Jesus went on to talk about the guidance that the Holy Spirit would bring to the believer's lives. And not only um, giving them knowledge, but also telling us that he's taking from the Father. The Holy Spirit is giving us the word of the Father. He's giving us the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, verse 14, very important. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and give it to you. And their future salvation, with it also came the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And although the work of the spirit of truth is multifaceted, Jesus is he specifically teaches that the Holy Spirit guides us to all truth and he glorifies Jesus. We have this gift of the Holy Spirit. He guides us to all truth. I don't know if you've had any moment in your life where you just know the spirit is speaking to you. But I remember a time when I was an interim pastor at a church in Zion where after church, somebody came in asking for money and the violin was out, man. He was he was telling me the sad story. Lily and I laughed at at the time because I was an interim pastor, but without any schooling, that church would never consider me to be their pastor. They had to go to school to be a pastor in their eyes. But as soon as this person walked in, All the deacons fled and pointed them to John. We found that very funny. It's like, you guys handled it, you know? But while I was talking with this gentleman standing in the sanctuary, there was a point to where I looked down at his hands and I saw that they were oil stained. 
And suddenly the Spirit spoke to me and he said, John, before he walked in here, he took the dipstick out of his car engine and he smeared it on his hands. He does not really have need. And I just, I received that from the Lord. I didn't make that up, look at his hands and say, oh, you did that by putting. I just received that from the Lord. And at that point I said, you know what? I can't offer you money, but we have a food pantry here. I can give you food. And he wouldn't take the food. So tell me, if you're really hungry, groceries is food, you'd take it, right? But he wouldn't take it. But then throughout that week, I found out that he had been scamming all the churches in the area. So I really believe that the Lord gave me a word at that moment for that hour. The Holy Spirit coming in 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for his Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And we must rely upon the Holy Spirit in the ministry that God has given us to do. And although there are countless methods of evangelism, just think about this. Without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, these are just merely methods of human effort or human wisdom. As believers, we get to participate in the work of the Lord, the work of evangelism that leads people to salvation. But it's the Holy Spirit working on both sides of the issue in the sense that he works with the unbeliever, drawing them to Christ, and he works with the believer as they present Christ to them. That we should be able to stand back when God moves upon individual, we should be able to stand back and say, look what my God has done. And the Spirit, he continues to this day to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. But also we find a coming joy. Let's first look at verses 16 through 19. Jesus says, a little while. A little while, you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while you will see me because I go to the father they said therefore what is this that he says a little while we do not know what he is saying now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and he said to them are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while you will not see me and again in a little while you will see me. It does seem a little cryptic, doesn't it? I've been saying that for the last uh, three weeks that Jesus, he's just giving part of the information here, but he's also telling us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll fill you in on these things. He'll give you understanding. And even though the disciples had been with Jesus for over three years, they still did not understand the mission of his first coming. They were looking for a second coming Messiah, just like the church today is waiting for and looking for the second coming Messiah. That's what they were looking for. They did not understand the mission of Christ needing to come to die for the sins of the world. And that's why Jesus, he, he was a little cryptic about this, describing his death, his burial. That's what he was saying. In a little while, you will not see me. I'll die on a cross. I'll be buried in a tomb. But then again, in a little while, you'll see me again. On the third day, I'm going to raise up from the grave. In Luke 18, 31 through 34, again, he was talking about his death here. But I want you to 
realize um, in verse 34 what Luke reveals to us about the disciples. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all these things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Now here, verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not know the things which were spoken. Jesus, this is the third time in Luke's gospel that Jesus plainly told his disciples about what was going to happen to him. And each time it tells us, but they didn't understand it. You got to be kidding, Jesus. You, you must be talking about someone else. Not my Jesus. But yeah, it was our Jesus who went to the cross, who died and then rose again on the third day. That they might be one. It's because of Jesus's work on the cross as our high priest, Jesus. He's paid the sins. Do you know, uh, last Wednesday was Yom Kippur. At the time in Israel, if there was a temple, the high priest, if there was a high priest, they would have went in and offered uh, sprinkling on the Holy of Holies. Once a year they would go in. But Jesus came that we would be one with him. He did the work as our high priest, Jesus Christ. He's the one who has atoned for our sins through his death, burial, and glorious resurrection to make us one with him. Again, in Luke 24, 44, and 45, chapter 24, verses 44 and 45, Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke with you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which was written by the law of the prophets and of Moses and of the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend Scripture. This is a given a word to the disciples when he came in after he had resurrected. He opened their understanding. At this point, they didn't have understanding. He said, your hearts would rejoice. In verses 20 and 22. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful and your sorrow will be turned into joy. Verse 21, a woman, when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. Your joy, no one will take from you. Jesus gave a very practical illustration of weeping and lamenting instantly turning into joy uh, through a woman giving birth to a child. I still remember Lily yelling at my sister Janice saying, why didn't you tell me it hurts this bad? <laughs> that was before the baby was born. She wasn't yelling at my sister Janice after Melissa was born. For the ladies who have given birth and all those who have helped like doctors, nurses, or maybe those who have emotionally helped like husbands or other family members, we see that there is a big difference the before and after of uh, childbirth. And truly, 
A woman's sorrow is turned into joy. They forget the pain. I th the pain is still there in some sense, but the joy of holding that child, nursing that child. Even Sarah said in Genesis 21, 6 and 7, God has made me laugh and all those who will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in the old age. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Who would believe it that the Lord has allowed us to have a son? And at the time of the disciples' sorrow, the world would rejoice, but they would only rejoice for three days. Maybe they had a three-day party, but on that third day, their party came to an abrupt end. Job tells us, one of his friends from Job 25, it was a friend of Job who said, the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of hypocrites is but for a moment. It won't last forever for them. After Jesus' resurrection, the helper uh, came alongside the church to teach them of the significance of Jesus' sacrifice, who paid the debt of our sin that we might find forgiveness from him. This is why the Lord said in John 14, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And then that full joy, verses 23 and 24, and that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And I believe, you know, as a pastor teaches through a portion of scripture, he's not just learning to teach the church. When I look into the word of God, I'm looking to see what the Lord wants to teach me out of it. And one of the things that the Lord has shown me is that, and I said it earlier in my introduction, that I think I'm guilty of not asking enough or maybe not asking for enough. It's really stood out to me, uh, Jesus, telling us to ask. And maybe I'm not the only one guilty of this. James reminds us as well, James 4, verses 2 and 3, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we ask in accordance to God's will that we might bring glory to God himself. And why are we to ask? He says that our joy may be full that we might know full joy through the work of Jesus in our lives. Jesus' death upon the cross not only gives us salvation, but it brings joy to the full, full joy. I don't know if you experienced that type of joy as of yet in your life, but Jesus came to make it available to his church. And finally, we look at verses 25 through 33, a coming faith. These things I have spoken to you, verses 25 through 38, uh, 25 through 28, there's not 38 verses in this chapter. Be calm. We'll get through this. What? He's adding more verses to the chapter? 25 through 28. These things I've spoken to you in a figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me 
and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. I kind of slowed down as I was reading that because I was having this thought uh, running through my mind as Jesus was saying, I do not say that I should pray the Father for you, for the Father loves himself loves you because you have loved me. And as, as I was reading that, I was thinking about a segment of the church that likes to pray through other sources, like praying through Mary or uh, St. Peter or John, or you list it out. They, they feel that they can't come to God. They need to have a, an inside help on the heaven side to get their request to Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm not even going to pray the Father for you because the Father himself loves you. You can pray the Father. I asked my Catholic friend once, and we were good friends, so I was able to ask this question fairly to him. Why is it that the Catholic Church likes to pray through Mary? Here's his explanation. He says, you know, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you uh, want something, you go through mom because you know dad will say no, but you can, you can get it through mom. So we go through mom to get to Jesus. Like, okay, Jesus said, I'm not even going to pray the Father for you. Although the word tells us he is making intercession for us there at the throne of God. You ask the Father. The Father loves you. Isn't that enough to know that God loves you? And that we can come to the Lord and ask ourselves? Jesus is being a little cryptic here. He says, I'm speaking in a figurative language. That word figurative is actually a word that's translated as proverb or parable in other portions of our Bible. And it tells us that he spoke this way to the multitudes as well. In Matthew 13, 34 and 35, Jesus spoke to them in parables and without a parable, he did not speak to them, to the multitudes. But soon the disciples would gain this understanding through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their life. And when we pray, we need to remember that God loves us because we love Jesus and have believed that he is the Son of God. It's God, according to Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. And we must pray. When we pray, remember that Jesus came forth from God. He's returning to the right hand of the Father. Just as Jesus said to the women or to Mary here in John 20, 17, do not cling to me for I've not ascended to my father, but go to my brother and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and to your God. Jesus has ascended. And now we can cry out to the father. Jesus said, I won't pray for you. You pray to the father. Know this, that the father himself he didn't even have to insert the word himself there to make it a, a proper statement. The Father loves you, but the Father himself, it makes it stand out a little more, doesn't it? The Father himself loves you because you love me. But this is the fourth time in this final discourse that he has taught us to pray and to ask. This time he adds, in my name. Ask in the name of Jesus. Have you ever wondered? Why we close our prayer saying it, and in the name of Jesus, amen. 
Well, Jesus told us to. And as my dad might say, that's good enough for me. We find it in James 5.14. If anyone's sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus. We ask, we ask boldly, but always in the name of Jesus. So his disciples, verses 29 through 33, his disciples said to him, See, you are now speaking plainly to us, no figurative speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. So at this point, the disciples were sure. They understood who Jesus was, who he is. They realized that he was all-knowing. You know all things. They realized and believed in his deity, that he came forth from God. And Jesus responded back, verse 31, Do you believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each one to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because my Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you should have peace. And in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus knew that in a few short hours, their faith would be challenged by his arrest. In fact, the hour had now come when all of them would scatter away. Matthew 26, 31 says, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You know, connected to Jesus' crucifixion, there was one who had to betray him. One had to deny him. All were made to stumble because of him. Both the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, the rulers condemned him. Yet we are all guilty of this death as well. You know, in fulfillment of scripture, of prophecy, all these things had to take place. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, according to God's word. Although they would scatter away that very night from Jesus, one would deny him, one would betray him. In 50 short days, 11 of the 12 who had scattered away from Jesus would begin to take a stand for Jesus. First in the streets of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, then in the temple courts and from house to house, then from city to city and also from nation to nation, they would begin to take a stand for Jesus. And though the followers of Jesus would find tribulation in this world, Jesus said, I have come that you might have peace, knowing that I have overcome the world. John 14, 27, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. May it be that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, that it might guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus came, John 16, he talked about a coming persecution. Well, that persecution is still here. But he also told about the coming Holy Spirit. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit is still here and among us today. Within the church, there should be this, not a coming joy, but the joy is here that the Lord gives us this joy that the world cannot explain. And also he describes it as full joy. 
And as we go in to meet others with need, well, the Holy Spirit will be with us. He'll be convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Remember, I said several weeks ago that for the average adult to come to faith in Jesus Christ, they need to hear the gospel presented to them at least seven times before they receive Jesus. So that means I have a one in seven chance, right? Six times I'll probably fail in presenting the gospel to someone if I would go to that same individual seven times in a row. But it's not only us, it's other believers and the Holy Spirit bringing witness to them as well that they might believe that our joy, that their joy might be full as they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us now as we wait upon you with this one last song. Pray, Lord, for those who you are ministering to this very hour. Pray that your spirit would be upon us. Help us to hear, Lord, again what the spirit is teaching us. And Lord, if you are just pricking a heart that needs to respond to you today, it might be for salvation. It might be for rededication. Uh, it might be, Lord, for a need of prayer. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we wait upon you now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Amen.